Thanks for joining us for the Westbridge Church Podcast. More information about Westbridge Church is available at westbridgedanville.com. Here's this week's message from Pastor John McDougall. Good morning to you, church family. It's good to be together, isn't it? Just a, uh, before we dig into the, our text today, a word of encouragement, this water bottle, if you did not get one, this symbolizes our, where we're going in this series, praying that God would create in us a pure heart. But as I was thinking about today, thinking about gathering as a, a church family, this water bottle took a different meaning, and that was just the picture of, of as we gather together, we are like that aid station halfway through a marathon at mile 13.1 where we're gathering on a Sunday and we're handing each other a sip of water, God's grace to just carry on, to keep on, to, to uh, run the race. Life is hard, isn't it? We are, as humans, we're fickle. We're, uh, Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And it's hard. It's a battle. It's uphill all the way home. But God is faithful, isn't he? to give us just the grace we need for the next step. And how do we receive the grace? Or in what way does it give the grace? Through each other. And so um, today, wherever you're at in your faith journey, if I could just remind you that you are not alone, that you are loved, that you have a team. And if you don't have a church home, church family, we have a spot for you. And we'd love to, to share life with you and help you in your journey after Christ. If I could just pray one more time and, and ask God for his grace as we open his word. Father, as we open your word today, we pray that you would purify our hearts. As Wes just prayed, the alignment with your will is what we desire, specifically in the, the area of being a blessing to the people around us. And Lord, we pray that you would make us a blessing for your glory and for the joy of, of those around us. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, before we dig into the text, we need to celebrate a big win, and as I was writing th this sermon, I, I, uh, the big win I was talking about was not the one that happened last night for all you Purdue fans, but you know what? We do need to give Purdue fans their due, so congratulations, you guys. <laughs> we have a few people wearing the uh, black and gold, and great, uh, great accomplishment, and sorry, Ohio State fans. But the big win is we have been praying over the past, as we launched this ministry year in September, for 500 Go Bless Warriors. People who would say, put me down for this blessed commitment. And if you don't have a, a, a blessed card, you can grab these in the back at the guest services area to say, I'm going to wake up in the morning praying, Lord, make me a blessing. And then I'll do my best to be a blessing to my family first then my church family, and then into the community. And as of this morning, we have 508 of us who said, mark me down. Now, what that does for, is I think about just, there's some momentum thinking, I'm not alone in this. Isn't that a cool thought? Like 500 of us say, I'm going to do my best. Granted, we're, we all, we'll all have room to improve, but I'm going to do my best to go out and be a blessing for the glory of God. Isn't that awesome? Pump me up, and, and I hope that encourages you. The, uh, just a reminder in terms of where we're at, we're, obviously we want to be a blessing to everyone around us, but for the month of October, our focus is family. And so we're saying, okay, let's, let's work this blessed plan at home. 
Sometimes it's easy to bless the stranger. What about right at home? So we encourage you to, to uh, begin praying for those in your own family. And um, listen, where are the needs? And eat together. And then how can I serve, you know, my son, my daughter, my wife, husband? And then, um, and then let's share our faith story in our own families. So at dinner time, hey, how did you come to Christ? Tell me, what was your story? And, and share those stories of, of God's grace within our family. Well, today we are in part three of our message series, Pure. We began on week one with this simple prayer, Psalm 51.10, Lord, create in me a pure heart. And first, a purity of love for God. That God would uh, do his work and just help us to love him with our entire being. And then week two was last week, and Pastor Tyson led us into a text where Peter's writing to the church, and he says, okay, now love each other with, with a sincere love, but then he says, love one another deeply from the heart. And, and just there's that purity of, of love for each other that we're called into. And then Tyson challenged us with an application that's been messing with me all week, and it was view uh, interruptions as opportunities to love. <laughs> and you watch Jesus live, and it's like, that's how he lived, right? And now, granted, we, we do have to steward our time, and there's, that's another, there's a tension there. But I realized in my own life, I'm great with interruptions. I'm fine with interruptions as long as I have like a week's notice. And, and if I can, you, you let me know about a week ahead of time so I can put it on my schedule, no problem with that interruption. <laughs> it's, the, it, it's a challenge, isn't it? And so we're praying, Lord, give me a, a uh, creating me a pure heart that beats with a pure love, loving everyone always. And it's interesting, the book Everyone Always by Bob Goff seems to be something God is using in our church family. I know he's using it in our small group. He's used it in, in Tyson's life. I've got it on my nightstand, and the stories of this guy, loving everyone always is, is powerful. So if you're looking for a resource to encourage you, that one's there. But today our goal is to uh, pursue compassion, a heart that beats with pure compassion, and we're going to do something a little different today, and I, I do this with fear and trepidation because we're going we're gonna to go through quite a bit of scripture, but what we're actually going to do is shadow, try to shadow Jesus for a day in his life. I'm not sure that this was a, literally a day. It could have been. It seems that Matthew wants us to think about this segment of time as a literary uh, connected piece of, of scripture, and then he summarizes it at the end. So the idea is we're going to read through and just track with Jesus pretty quick. Watch him live for a day in his, his ministry, and then it's as if we're going to gather at a, a restaurant there on the, the seashore and debrief with Christ. Matthew does this in, in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. He gives us a debriefing section, and there are three thoughts that will form a prayer that will help us live with pure compassion. Okay, so that's where we're going today. Matthew 9, we're going to just roll through this. If you want to just sit and listen to it and just try to, to fill it and see it and smell it and taste it, that's fine. If you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to read through and then we're going to debrief together. As we read this, you might even in your own, uh, as you jot things down, what, what are your big takeaways as you watch Jesus on this day in his life? So here we go, Matthew chapter 9. Verse 1, Jesus stepped into a, into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own, his, his own town. And some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, important theme in this text, he said to the man, Take heart, son, 
Your sins are forgiven. I love that word, take heart. It's literally, be of good cheer. This guy's paralyzed, and Jesus is like, take heart. But then what comes after is surprising. You'd think he'd say, you know, I'm going to heal you, but what's he say? Your sins are forgiven. Our biggest problem is the sin that separates us from our Father. And at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me. Simple call. Call that he offered invites all of us to follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up, followed Jesus. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God speaking. For I have come to call the righteous, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then John's disciples, so John the Baptist, these are teammates, John's disciples came and they asked him, how is it that, that we and the Pharisees fast often, so there was the command in, the, the law was to fast once a year, but they actually were fasting twice a week, part of their tradition. But your disciples do not fast. So the, the people following Christ didn't fast. And Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For that patch will pull away from the garment, making, it, making the tear worse. Neither do people put new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they, put, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. What's he, he doing here? He's, he's uh, giving us a, a little hint that something new is, is starting here. You had the law, the old, something new is coming it says, while he, was, while he was saying this, seems to be happening all the same day. While he's saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her and and said, take heart. Same thing he said to the young man, take heart. Be of good cheer, daughter, for your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in took the girl by the hand 
And she got up. News of this spread through all the region. And as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored, and Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this, but, when they, but they, they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. Well, while they, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Wow. Did you feel the, like, what a day. And and as you follow Christ on this day, possibly day or or short season of his life, what are the takeaways? If you were to gather at dinner and just debrief as a a group and and it came to you and say, what what did you take away from this day of following our leader? What what would be your takeaway? What, What would impress you? Something that you could put into your own life, something you learned, something that, that impacted you. And what's neat is we have a takeaway from Matthew in, in verse 35 and following forms three really statements that will, will shape our prayer, a prayer that we can pray as we follow the Lord. And the first is found in verse 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in the synag- their synagogues proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And so the first debriefing thought is this. As we watch Jesus live, he is living on mission. He's moving. The the text says he went from town to town. He's, He's going town to town, place to place, village to village. He's on a mission, and what's he doing? He's proclaiming a message There's a clarity to his message. It's a message of hope. It's good news. And what what is the message about? It's the good news of the kingdom. Say, okay, for us, not really familiar with kingdoms, that's a little fuzzy, but what's the good news of the kingdom of God? It's the one, the king is here. The king of the kingdom has arrived. He's here. The kingdom of heaven is near, i.e., the king is in front of you, and two, he is offering entrance into the kingdom to everyone who will respond to him by faith. This is the good news of the kingdom. You can have a relationship with the living God through faith in Jesus Christ, and he is here. God become man. Incredible news. And to authenticate his identity and his goodness as our king, he's doing miracle after miracle. He's healing the lame. He's uh, raising up the dead. He's giving, breaking the bondage of, of the enemy, giving this guy who can't talk speech again. He's giving sight to these guys who can't see. This is the good news. And notice, and as you go out to, to follow Jesus on mission, to go bless, as God calls you to go bless, what does Jesus meet at every turn? Resistance, right? Right there at the start. Be of good Good cheer, young man. Your sins are forgiven. And what, what's, 
what are the religious leaders, the people who ought to be on his team, what are they saying? This guy's a blasphemer. End of the story. What, what, what do these guys conclude? He just made a mute guy speak. And what do they say? He's controlled by the prince of demons. Resistance at every turn. God has given you a unique shape, a unique calling as you set out to go bless. Whatever that may look like. Wes, as he's up here leading us in worship, your calling just as important. But be sure of this. When you start to move, now if you're sitting still and you're doing nothing, enemy, that's just where he wants you. He's not, you're no problem. But when you start to move, when you start living on mission, he's coming after your bless. He will mess with your bless. He will get in your head. He will send somebody, possibly in this, on the team, to whisper a word of discouragement in your ear. Don't listen to him, right? Keep on moving. If there's one thing we see in our Lord, he's moving. He's got resistance. Doesn't stop him. He's going. But there's another observation or, or a debriefing thought that Matthew gives us here. Second verse, verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The debriefing thought here is Jesus is not only living on mission, but he's living with compassion. Interesting. So we stop and think, okay, what is like the mark of our Lord's heart? What's driving him at the motivation level? What's fueling his mission? Why is he going from village to village and, and doing what he's doing? And that it would come down to this one word, compassion. He cares. He cares about the people that, that are far from God. And that's why he's moving out of his comfort zone and, and into their lives and seeking to uh, share the message of hope and be, um, bring good, the, the good that he can, can bring. You know, this is not the only occurrence in the New Testament that we see this word describing Jesus, is it? I, if you do a word study, on it, it's all over the New Testament. This, this is our Lord's heartbeat. This is our God's heartbeat. And then what's fascinating is you turn to uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, our everyday creed, and God looks at us, and he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? What's the first word he calls us to clothe ourselves? When we were going through this text, we put it on duct tape and hung it up in our closet. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Live like this. You say, why? Why compassion? Why does this matter? It's because this may be the primary virtue by which we display the glory of God. Where is the glory of God seen? It's in His compassion. Hurting with people who hurt, moving into their need with the, the possibility of helping and the, the heart to help. And another reason it's important is because it's what fuels us to move. It's what moves us into the need. As you look throughout Scripture, as Jesus is teaching, He says, okay, remember when He describes the Good Samaritan. What is it, before the Good Samaritan does anything, what, what does Jesus pull open and show us? It says he had pity on the man. He had compassion on the guy who was in need. And so he, got, he stopped, got off his horse and, or his donkey and helped him out. You see it again and again. When the father's looking for the prodigal son, what's it say? His heart was filled with compassion, and that moved him to run to his son, wrap him up. 
and offer the forgiveness. Say, okay, I understand, and I think we all would agree, compassion is important, but how do we develop a heart of compassion? And we see a clue in this text. Look at the second part of the verse. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How do we develop a heart of compassion? It's to see people the way God sees them. How, did, how does God see people? How did Jesus see people like sheep without a shepherd? Jesus saw where people were without him, and then he saw the possibility of where they could be with him. And the text, the, the words that Matthew uses there are pretty vivid. He uses two, he says, because they were harassed and helpless. That word harassed is that idea of just being hounded by something, beat down. Every time you get up, you're just getting beat down, and you're just harassed. And then the second word is even more vivid. It's helpless. It's the picture of being completely vulnerable, like no ability to, to defend ourselves. Like we're, It's a picture of somebody being curled up in a fetal position, just being kicked. As Jesus looks out on the people, he's seeing people who are harassed, helpless, sheep without a shepherd, confused, lost, thinking they know right, but going wrong. Their future is dark, 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 messed up. And what a picture of a self-led life. And we've all experienced this when we try to lead our own life. But can you imagine life without Christ, for those of us who know him, just the darkness of that. And to allow that to to drop into our soul, to, to feel that agony, but then to feel the possibility. What if they turn and follow the good shepherd? And it's as Jesus is there with him, he's like, right here, if you would turn, follow me. The joy, and I love the text that, that David gives us, which is really just a celebration of, of being able to follow the good shepherd where it starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. And what's the first description of a, a God-led life? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack what? Nothing. <laughs> my needs are met. That's the good news of the kingdom of God, right? That there is, when we turn to follow Christ, we can say with confidence, yeah, life is hard, but I can say my needs are met because I have a good shepherd who promises to meet my every need in Christ. But David goes on and says, um, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. My soul is satisfied. Again, life in the kingdom of God. When we're trying to live the self-led life, life without the good shepherd, our souls are restless, aren't they? And chasing this, chasing that. But as we begin to follow the good shepherd, that sweet spot of, ah, I'm satisfied in him. And then David goes on and says, he guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And we go from confused to clarity as to how life works and what is truth and which way do we go. And then he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, you are with me. I love this in Psalm 23. David has been talking about the Lord, but when he gets to the dark valley, he starts talking to the Lord. He says, you are with me. Often the most intimate times and precious times we have with with our God are those valleys, aren't they? And as a child of God and as 
We follow the good shepherd. The valley is hard, yes, we grieve, but we grieve with the hope of knowing my good shepherd walks with me. What a gift to be able to offer that to somebody who doesn't have that. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. It's the picture of a victory celebration while we're still on the battlefield. And then he says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. As we follow the good shepherd to be able to say, my future is beautiful. And so how do we develop a heart of compassion, the heart of our God, a heart that beats with pure compassion for the people around us? We see the agony of life without him, but we also see the beauty and the the incredible joy of life with him. So this brings us to, to the third and most valuable bit of this debriefing session, because if you look at verse 37, this is actually Jesus debriefing the day with us. So it's as if we're going around the circle saying, hey, what'd you get out, what'd you get out of this? But now Jesus says, all right, here's what I want you to get out of this. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. The debriefing thought is, okay, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So the action step is, ask the Lord to send out workers into his harvest field. As he uses this metaphor of the harvest, it's, say, what is the harvest? The harvest in this context, and I think coming out of everything that he's been doing and what he said to the leaders with Matthew, a harvest is anybody who is far from God turning to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying that the harvest is plentiful. People all over the place who, who are far from me, sheep without a shepherd, who have the opportunity to hear the good news, respond in faith, and step into the joy of knowing me. When I, as we think about a plentiful harvest right now, right here in central Indiana, is anyone else thinking about Beasley's Orchard and these tree, apple trees that are just loaded with apples? Interesting as Jesus looks out on that world, and I think true still of our world today, it's like, guys, the harvest is plentiful. And so what does he call us to do? And this is the surprising thing that I wrestled with in this text if I'm, if I'm listening to this and I hear him say the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, and I'm sitting around the table, I'm expecting him to say, so guys, remember the ant in Proverbs, get up, get busy, get it done, let's go. Break huddle, let's go. But what does Jesus call us to do? What's our action step? Pray. What? Pray. Ask. Ask? Yeah. And, and ask what? Interesting here. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into whose harvest field? His. (laughs) What's he doing here? One thing for sure we know is he's reminding us of something we desperately need to know. As we go out as sheep into a battlefield, he is sovereign. He's the Lord of the harvest. This mission, who's in charge of this mission? He is. And he's saying, and guys, this is my harvest field as well. This is my world. Just be reminded of this. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest. But notice what we're to ask. 
to send out workers into his harvest field. So I'm wondering to myself, why does he want us to ask that he would send out people? What's the purpose in this request and the power in this request? And then it occurred to me, have you ever been sent? Have you ever been sent? A moment came to my mind that's, that's vivid. 16 years old, my first real job making six bucks an hour at the, the uh, farm implement dealership down the road. And my boss come, calls me into his office. And he says, John, I'm going to send you out to go get a, I forget what, like we'll say a hay baler, down in southern Indiana somewhere and bring it back. Broken down in a field. I'm sending you out. And he would draw on his, uh, on his map. This was back before the days of Google Earth and, and, uh, or Google Maps and all that stuff. And uh, he would do something like this. Okay, you're going to go down this road, and then you're going to, uh, whoop, what am I missing, you guys? Telestrator's still on the, uh, what's that? Oh, finger. All right. This road, and you're going to turn right here. And we're going to have to use our imagination. <laughs> Back to the air map. <laughs> but, uh, and can I tell you, when I went out of his office, 16 years old, I am focused and I am bold. And as I get into that red Dodge Ram pickup truck, there is no question in my mind at all if I'm going to find that baler and bring it back that day. No question. Why? My boss just sent me. And man, I... So as I'm driving down 39, I look down at the dash, and the, the uh, gas is on empty. What do you do? No problem at all. I pulled into the gas station right there in Monrovia, filled it up, went in. They said, how will you pay for this? I said, put it on the Henderson account. She said, give me the funniest look. The what? Henderson account. She looked through her books. We don't have a Henderson account. I'm 16 years old. Normally, that would bother me. It didn't. I said, I don't care. Here's... Marvin's number, call him. You guys figure it out. I'm sent, and I left. <laughs> Come to find out George had to drive down and pay the bill and all that stuff. But you know what? That was not my concern. And normally, I was not that bold. But I was living sent. By whose authority do we go to share the good news of the gospel? The Lord of the harvest. Who is resourcing this mission? The Lord of the harvest, have you ever been sent by the Lord of the harvest? What if he sent you? <laughs> what if you woke up in the morning and, and all of a sudden you realize, oh my, I got called into his office on a unique mission to go share the good news with somebody who's going to turn to him. Oh baby, you talk about focus and boldness. Why did he call us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest? Because we need to be sent, don't we? And I love that. Because it, it goes, start praying, Lord, send me. But, but what's he doing? No, he's saying, I wake up in the morning and I say, as part of the team, Lord, would you send out Mike into the harvest today? And here's our prayer. We'll put all the three pieces together. And this is an awesome prayer. Let's go ahead and put it up here. Here's the prayer. Putting each piece of this uh, debriefing together. Lord, would you send us, send Mike, send Buckner, send my brother, my sister. Would you send us into your harvest field 
with your boldness, with your authority, and with your compassion. Lord, give us your compassion for the people. Help us see people the way you see them, harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, to help someone discover the treasure of knowing you. That's the takeaway today. Isn't that awesome? And I love it. It goes in with what uh, Pastor Tyson led us to last week, the interruptions. As you watch Jesus live this day of life, it's like he's moving from one interruption to the next, isn't it? <laughs> and it's not that he didn't plan and he was focused, but it's part of the adventure, one life at a time. And so that challenge today is to begin praying this. And may I challenge us as, as, uh, to, for you today to write this prayer down, put it in your Bible or put it on this, your blessed card, and begin praying this as a family, begin praying this in your daily prayer time. And then here's the big challenge, all right? Right now, would you write down five of your teammates? Go ahead and think of five teammates. And if you don't do this now, I encourage you sometime today, jot down five teammates. So my head, I immediately went to my small group, but I'll say my daughter, Jesse, Chad, Brian, five people. And then this week, take five minutes for the next five days and pray for these five people and pray this prayer over them. So pray, Lord, would you send out Brian with your compassion to help someone discover the treasure of knowing you? And then here, here's my question, you guys. Is God going to answer that prayer? <laughs> Is the Lord going to answer that prayer? Sometimes we wonder, what am I, Lord, what do you want me to pray for? He told us what to pray. He gave us the prayer request. Is he going to answer a prayer that he's passionate about, about uh, answering and getting done? Yes, he will. And so as we pray this, pray it over ourselves, fasten the seatbelt, get ready to be sent, and then let's go be a blessing to those around us. We were... Uh, we need to be sent out, don't we? I, I was One of the challenges is, as followers of Christ and as sheep, we like to huddle and we love the safety of the confines of each other because there's the love of Christ right here and out there it gets pretty brutal. And uh, But God didn't call us to stay in the salt shaker, did he? Remember he said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt loses its saltiness, it's, it's lost its purpose. And salt has to be out with with what is decaying. And Doug Wicker asked a great question to a guy who is here to kind of challenge our leadership team back in February to around um, thinking through what, what it looks like to be a healthy church. And Doug said, what is the one mark of dying churches that you're around? What's the one common characteristic? Is you see churches that are healthy and then you see churches that are dying. And without missing a beat, guess what the guy said? It's the churches that become focused on themselves. Our calling. What did Jesus say? Ask the Lord of the harvest to what? Send out. We've got to get out. Send out workers into his harvest field. And as we were debriefing as a leadership team, it was really cool. A picture that, that I think the Lord gave us. It's been resonating in my heart. As a church family, as a team, ministry team, we, the, the glory of, of what's been given to us is we have, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? It's the heart of God beating in us. And his heart is like this. We gather to build each other up 
and we go to be a blessing to, and a light, right? So it's a heartbeat. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. We gather to share his grace. We gather to build each other up. We gather to get into his word, to ground ourselves. We come in. We gather on Sundays. We gather in small groups. We gather to go. We gather to go. We gather to go. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. The heartbeat of our Father, the redemptive mission. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Isn't that a, a cool picture? Kevin Harney in his book, Organic Outreach for Ordinary People, great book, by the way, and, and just practical ways to, to be a blessing to those around us, was, uh, shares a story of a guy who was coaching. He was a young pastor. His name was Jason. The church was doing well. It was a church plant. But Jason was super busy caring for all the needs of the church family, and then he was in seminary, and he had a young family at the time. And so uh, Kevin was pressing him. What's your personal outreach look like? Like, are you out there, you know, going out and, and seeking to develop relationships with people who don't know Christ? And he said, honestly, I'm all for evangelism, I'm all for outreach. I just don't have time right now in my life. And so Kevin, seasoned pastor, says, okay, I can either hit this guy right in the face, say, give me your schedule, we're going to erase these things, and you're going to start. Or he, he went through the back door, and I love the back door because it's scriptural. He said, would you start praying it, would, you, or would you be willing to pray for God to open up outreach opportunities for you, even in the midst of your busy schedule? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out a worker, being me. And Kevin said, yeah, or uh, Jason said, yeah, I'll start praying. And he started praying that afternoon that God would open up his heart towards opportunities to share. And he tells the story. It doesn't always happen like this, but for him, it rocked him. That evening, a neighbor knocks on his door. And it was a neighbor he had been getting to know, but said, would you, would you be willing to lead a neighborhood Bible study to help us get to know more about this um, Christ and, and all of this? And he comes back to, to Kevin and says, I now have time <laughs> for outreach. But where did it start? With prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And so the challenge of the day is to pack this prayer with us. Send us out, Lord into your harvest with compassion to help someone discover the, the, the joy of knowing you. And today I'm excited to, um, this, to have uh, Terry Tyler with us and his family. Terry, I met him at a jam session. Gavin Hadley, Gavin and Pam Hadley uh, attend our second service here. Terry is their son-in-law, but uh, loves music, and so he... Gavin loves music. He invited Terry and Wes and myself, I was a, just a listener, over to their basement, and they're jamming out, just playing music, what have you. And as I got to know, was hearing Terry's story, I realized, man, here's a brother in Christ that uh, his heart beats with compassion and the heart of Christ and the picture of a transformed life. And as you hear his story, I've asked him to come share his story today and then just share a song that I think most of us probably know where we just celebrate what we have in Christ. May it be a reminder to us the opportunity God's given us to go out into a harvest field, people who are far from him, sheep without a shepherd, and share the incredible gift of God, the gospel with them. Today, if you're here and you don't know Christ and you hear his story let it be an invitation to you to seek Christ, to trust Christ, to follow him. So I'll turn it over to Terry at this time. Would you welcome him as he comes to share with us? Right. Thanks, brother.
Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, it's the first time I've shared my testimony, so maybe a little bit nervous. So, um, I was born and raised in southern Indiana, and I uh, was raised in a, a fine Christian home. And um, in that home, I never heard anything on the radio but gospel. So as I, as I grew and heard those songs constantly over and over, I uh, started singing along and realized, maybe, maybe I can sing a little bit. So then I started playing with the harmonies and realized I could sing harmony. And my dad sang a little bit, so he, uh, he urged me to get into gospel music. Now, I, I was a young, young boy at that time, you know, maybe six years old or so. So I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, but as time went on, I grew to love it even more. And then I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And uh, my whole world changed. I had to have a guitar, so I started begging for a guitar. And finally, my dad took me to Sears. Sears and Roebuck is what it was called at the time. And got me a guitar. Well, the strings were about that far from the neck, I think. So it was pretty hard to play. Um, I tried to learn to play it, and uh, it was pretty difficult. So finally, he came to me, and he said, he said, hey, I've got enough S&H green stamps, and they've got a guitar we can order. It was an acoustic. How many of you have heard of S&H green stamps? <laughs> All right. Um, so we ordered the guitar, took the one back to Sears because it wouldn't play well. And uh, I got the acoustic and, and got into playing and learning to sing and learning some of those old gospel songs. And then as I got a little older, another ball dropped, and I, uh, I heard Led Zeppelin. And for some reason, I decided I had to look like them. So, <laughs> so I started going down that path, which um, I decided I wanted to be a rock star. And there was nothing going to stop me. I, I was fully going down that path. And from that point forward, I don't think I asked God what he wanted of me. So... I did everything that I knew to do to become a rock star. I went to L.A., I went to Nashville, I was on Star Search. I, I did everything, and years pass, and I'm getting older and older, and that's a young man's game. So after many years of it, um, nothing was happening. So I stopped traveling. We, I had been traveling all over the United States playing music, and I, I, I went home. Uh, to kind of reinvent myself. And uh, while I was there, I kind of got back into church a little bit, and um, I'd sneak in before the sermon and sit on the back pew and cry through all of it and um, sneak out before anybody could see me. And God started chipping away at my heart. I had a lot of, lot of things <clears throat> in my life that I, I needed to get rid of. Conceit, pride, um, they were huge. So a friend asked me to come over and, and um, build a mini barn for him because I had done some carpentry work in the past. So while we were there building, I fell off of a scaffold, ended up having a neck injury, which led to a vocal cord issue, and I had to stop singing. Um, 
very devastating for me. So I continued to go to church and uh, realized that I had to give things slowly back to God. So the first thing I gave him was my conceit and my pride. And it took a while because I was a prideful man. And he finally took it from me. And um, the next thing I gave him was my, my dating life. You know, by this time, I was well into my 30s and thought, well, I always wanted to get married and have a child and um, a family. And, um, you know, I'd been traveling in bars most of my life. Not a good place to find a wife. So, um, you know, my thought was when I become a rock star, I'm going to move to L.A. and marry Jennifer Aniston. But God had such a better idea. Um, he gave me the most beautiful wife. Sorry, guys, I got the most beautiful wife in the world. Um, and a wonderful son. So I gave him those things. And um, the next thing was music. I had to let go of my pride for music. And I had my hands clenched around that really tight. That was a hard one. Um, I slowly started peeling the fingers away from it because I thought, you know, what does God know about the music business, really? You know, boy, was I wrong. So finally, after a, a, quite a long period, I finally let go of it. And after that, um, a gentleman approached me at church. Now, I... A lot of time had passed. I hadn't sung really in, gosh, over 10 years. And a gentleman approached me at church and knew I had been um, trying to do music for God a little bit. And uh, he asked me to put together a band. And I said, well, I, I don't sing anymore. And um, I learned through that and his encouragement that, I can sing a little bit. It's not like it used to be, but um, I can, and I do have a voice for God. So we ended up putting together a band. It's a Christian rock band, and um, we're, we're out sharing the word of the Lord. Um, this story isn't all that compelling, I know. Uh, any one of you could come up this morning and, and give a far more exciting story, but... Whatever you take from this today, I hope you take the fact that no matter what path you're running down, if you're running down the road and God is behind you saying, hey, wait a minute, turn around, which is what I heard pretty much my whole life, or is he in front of you leading you, you know, that's, that's where you want to be and find his blessed assurance that only he can give. I'm going to grab my guitar, sing a song. Stand with me, if you will, and uh, sing along. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, 
washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day Submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior are happy and blessed, watching and waiting. Sin from above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story. This is my song, raising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Praise the Lord. Thank you.